The world is crazy, it's pretty clear. You need to know why, how it affects the lives of those we hold so dear. I can't explain everything, but together, maybe we can find our way. Aren't you tired of the violence, the hatred, the racism? We need a brand new day. And what about climate change, housing that's substandard but still unaffordable, and our public education system that favors some and leaves so many others behind? But who's going to pay? And then there are the jobs with wages so low they make you feel worthless as you struggle to pay the rent and all the other bills piled high. Yes, we need a brand new day. Is there enough hope among us to overcome despair? Enough wisdom to overcome ignorance? Enough generosity to overcome deprivation? Enough goodness to overcome all those who claim to be patriots but hate their government? We need a brand new day. That's right, a brand new day. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, only on WDIY, and I'm your host, Alan Jennings. That's me. I'm happy to be here. Post-election, crazy election. They all seem to be crazy these days. This evening, we've got uh, some electeds who made it through the electoral process. I don't know why they'd subject themselves to this abuse sometimes, but I'm glad they, they, they do. And we're going to start with Lamont McClure. We also have Matt Turk, Allentown elected mayor, and Willie Reynolds, his counterpart in Bethlehem. But first, we've got Lamont McClure, Northampton County Executive, who's been county governor for some time. Um, I consider him a friend, so I'll be, uh, be clear on that right up front. But uh, Lamont, uh, welcome. Oh, Alan, thank you very much. And when you talk to Matt and Willie, who are my friends, would you please congratulate them for me? They're great guys, and their cities are really in for public servants who are going to work very hard. I, I will do that. You know, I've been trying to, to think if anyone has ever had a weirder challenge than you just defeated. The um, comments that were made and on his website were just, um, were just amazing. And I want to just read it real quickly. This is what your opponent said after being defeated. The age of corruption will be coming to an end in Northampton County. Lamont, I don't know, corruption, okay. They have no idea, they have no idea who they messed with. God's people are just beginning this march. I am invigorated to eviscerate the swamp creatures in our county and their evil deeds. Remember, God is at work. This administration and their minions miscalculated big time messing with me, my family, and we the people. Lions are now circling and we have no care or concern to appease your desire to allow corruption to continue because you refuse to be informed of facts. Suit up, patriots. We are just getting started. Who's ready for phase two? This sounds like a domestic, uh, like a terrorist threat to me, Lamont. Is that, how, do you, how do you interpret that? Well, I, all I can say about this, Alan, is that our district attorney, Terry Houck, was informed of this Facebook post and he concluded that it was, quote, political rhetoric, close quote, and that it was free speech protected by the First Amendment. I don't agree with Terry about that assessment, but I'll have nothing further to say about this subject matter. I want to move forward working for the people of Northampton County over the next four years. I, I get that. And, and as weird as that might be, he, he got 44% of the vote, which I just, I just do not get. And even more puzzling is that, that how did Tara Zarinsky become the top vote-getter in, in the county council race? He couldn't find a, a more polar opposite. So how, how do you get Steve Lynch getting 44% of the vote and Tara getting, uh, being the lead vote-getter. Well, so I'm not a political scientist, and I can't really answer that. What, what I can tell you is this. I got tens of thousands of votes from Democrats, Republicans, and independents. You know, Alan, I've won two big county executive races back-to-back. -back. I beat an incumbent, John Brown, 
in 2017 by seven points. I've just won this race by 12 points and got 56% of the vote. And I think that's a mandate for me to continue moving the county forward. And specifically, I think folks told us they want us to walk a middle path. They clearly rejected extremism in this race. But I think they took what I have done over the past four years, including passing three budgets in a row, keeping their property taxes level, including fighting warehouse proliferation by preserving farmland, open space, and environmentally sensitive land. And I think they really reacted to our partnership with an organization you've partnered with in the past, the Greater Lehigh Valley Chamber of Commerce, to get $25 million out to our small businesses so they could survive and then thrive when we get through this pandemic. I think my leadership through the pandemic is what led to me getting 56% of the vote. I actually got more vote this time than I got last time. So, you know, I'm very gratified to the people of Northampton County. Well, I'm, I'm surprised that this guy got more than 15% of the vote. I, I, I remember you saying this is your ideal job, Lamont, and um, you don't have term limits, so you could still be in this position when climate change has already consumed the rest of the world. <laughs> well, uh, it's funny you say that, Alan. Look, I don't know what I'm going to do four years from now. I'm not announcing my reelection, but what I will say is I'm not ruling out running for a third term. I expect you to run for a fourth and fifth, too. (laughs) Well, thank you, sir. But the reason I'm saying that is, you know, we don't know what God's plan is for us, but the fact of the matter is now I have an agenda that's reinvigorated. I have a mandate from the people, and I don't have term limits. Usually an executive is a lame duck the second after they're sworn in for their second term because they're term limited to that eight years of service. I don't have that burden. I am not term limited. So I can approach my agenda with vigor with the opponents of whatever particular aspect of my agenda they oppose, having to have in the back of their head, this guy could win again. And oh, by the way, he's done something that's never happened in Northampton County before. He's won two landslide elections in a row for county executive, and he did it as a Democrat in possibly the worst environment for Democrats since 2009. So, you know, when people are considering opposing our agenda, they really have to think about those terms and that calculation. So what plans do you have for the coming year that, uh, that may have changed? Do you have, has anything for your coming year changed as a result of that, that mandate? No. What we're going to do, we're going to cut taxes 8.5%. Now, this is the real estate property tax, right? right? This is not the kind of stuff they're talking about in Washington. Completely different. Right. Where I am on the real estate property taxes, there are widows, say, in Northampton Borough, who are making decisions every day about, you know, do I crack my medicine and have to extend that out, or do I pay my property taxes? If I can give her just a little bit of a break in this time of higher inflation, that's what I'm going to do. So I think the biggest change is going from that, you know, no tax increase budgets that we had for three years in a row to actually cutting their taxes. But there are some things we're going we're gonna to do the same. Over the last four years, we invested $12 million in farmland preservation, environmentally sensitive land, and open space. And we've paid particular attention to creating parks. Do you know, during my term, we've added our 20th and 21st county park. And what we're going to do this year is get to almost 20,000 acres of preserved farmland. And the public really wants that, too, because they want to sort of push back on this truck traffic and warehouse proliferation. So those are some of the things that we're going to do. And, and I, I, Alan, I think you'll agree with me. We're not out of the pandemic yet. Right. So you're going to hear more from me, not today, but you're going to hear more from me in the coming days about the importance 
of being vaccinated and, and why we're going to do some of the things we're going to do with respect to vaccination. Lamont, I appreciate your time. I look forward to uh, your uh, implementing your agenda in 2000. Geez, it's 2022 coming up already, and it's already November, for crying out loud. Um, mm-hmm. Congratulations to you on uh, your election this, this, uh, earlier this month, and uh, we look forward to uh, working with you in the new year. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. You're listening to WDIY. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. As usual, we've got some political stuff to talk about. We had an election earlier this month. Lots of interesting things that came out of it. We just spoke with Lamont McClure. We're moving on. And stick with us. We're going to take a quick break. Celtic Fair, a celebration of Celtic music and culture from its roots in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Brittany, and Galicia, to its branches in Australia, Cape Breton, Canada, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and the Lehigh Valley. Music, interviews, and a weekly culture calendar every Thursday from 7 to 9 here on WDIY. Next up, Matt Turk. Just about a year ago, most of you never heard of the guy. I've known him for a number of years, so has anybody else in the economic development and community development world. Matt Turk was elected mayor earlier this month of the city of Allentown. It's a challenging situation. It's a huge opportunity for Matt to make an impact on the world, as he's already done to a smaller degree at Lehigh Valley Economic Development Corporation. Matt Turk, congratulations. Welcome. Thank you, Alan. I'm just absolutely thrilled to be here talking with you again. I love talking to you, period, and getting an opportunity to talk to you in this context is even better. Well, it's great to watch you in action, Matt, because you're, you're truly genuine and sincere about the, your excitement and being able to make a difference in your community. And, and I know you've been committed to Allentown. You live in the city. Your kids go to Allentown schools, have gone to Allentown schools. One's a graduate of Allen, I think, and another one's coming through, right? I have a daughter at the Charter High School for the Arts in Southside Bethlehem. She's a senior there now, okay. and I've got a daughter who's a freshman at Allen, and so we're getting a look at, at both worlds. But it, it, it raises an interesting point because we do we have seventeen thousand kids in the in the city of Allentown who are in this Allentown school district, and they're choosing lots of different paths. And ultimately, I want to make sure that our city is putting them in a position to succeed, whatever path they choose. So I'm I'm, I'm really I'm glad to have both perspectives. Well, Lamont McClure was, uh, came in just a minute ago, and we did the interview with Lamont. He wanted to make sure I wished you his congratulations for your, uh, your election. Thank you. I'm, I'm, Lamont, I'm thrilled that he was able to fend off a challenger that really represented the, the worst of our country. Of, it, it represented the worst of our country, and we saw that back on January 6th. It represented division and, and hate and bullying, and that's not who Lamont is, and that's not what the Lehigh Valley is. The Lehigh Valley is a place where people are, are dedicated to improvement, to making their, place, their community a little better, and I was thrilled to see Lamont's victory, and, and I wish him all the success in the world. And Lamont, I, I go one further, Lamont is somebody who puts the interests or, or, or responds to the, the voters of Northampton County, responds to the constituents of Northampton County, but he understands, he has a deep understanding of the power of regional collaboration. And I'm really looking forward to collaborating with Lamont to make sure that, and with Phil and with Willie and with Mayor Panto and, and Easton, 
to make sure that the the whole Lehigh Valley is is humming, and that we're we continue to build on the, the amazing things that we're doing here. Well, you might be like the uh, the dog that uh, always chases cars and finally catches one. <laughs> Um, and so I'm wondering, I know you've been thinking about a lot of the elements of what it's going to be to be the mayor, and it's not just a, a big job, it's a little job in many ways, you know, the little things that you have to do, making sure that the streets get plowed and the leaves get collected and so on, and, you know, the cops show up for work and so on. What, uh, what does the transition look like for the next two months? So you, you're, you raise a really great point in terms of, like, what you need to do in a city like Allentown, and it's the same thing, it, it is the same thing whether you're in the biggest cities in the world or the smallest boroughs, you got to keep it safe, you got to keep it clean. And that's what we want to, we want to make sure that work continues here in Allentown and we continue to improve on that. Over the next two months, I'm looking forward to sitting down with Mayor O'Connell. Mayor O'Connell, I, I was, I had that, that incredibly fortunate interaction to see him at, at his polling place on Tuesday night and, and was able to talk to him and he said, look, you know, whoever wins and hopefully to you, Matt, we will have an opportunity. We're committing ourselves to get you involved and make sure that you can get to know how we do things and, and what we can, what we're doing now and, and give me an opportunity to see how we can do it better. I have said this so many, many times and I want, I hope everybody in the Lehigh Valley can hear it is that the people, the, the 800 men and women, about 800 men and women who work in the city of Allentown are genuinely good people with a commitment to our city of Allentown. I want to make sure that everybody who's there now and wants to be there will be there on January 4th. I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to work as a team to continue to deliver on this vision of a safe, clean, and healthy city that's connected to our region where everybody has access to a good opportunity. So I'm going to spend time working with Mayor O'Connell's cabinet, working with the departments as they exist now, figuring out what we can do a little better, getting an opportunity to work with everybody and communicate to everybody the culture that we want to build in our city. It's a culture of respect. It's a culture of no ego. It's a culture of patience. It's going to be a culture of service to our residents and our stakeholders. That I want to communicate early on to give people the opportunity to decide, do I want to be part of this team or do I want to find something else to do? I think people want to be part of it. And I think people in the city want to be part of it. I'm going to continue to meet with stakeholders around the community, both residents and regional partners to to get guidance from them on what we should be thinking about as we think about our public health, as we think about our neighborhood strengths, as we think about public safety, as we think about you know that basic thing of, of making sure the streets are, are safe and clean. And what we'll do then over the, these next couple months is Make sure that we're humming, that we are, that we hit the ground running in January, and that means listening to to everybody in the region and everybody who's working there now. How much of a strategic and tactical plan do you have? Do you is your plan to like bust out with new initiatives, or you plan on having a sort of business as usual, calmly move on kind of thing, where you where you you know you make improvements and tweaks and implement along the way? Are, are you a bust out kind of guy, or are you a uh, kind of sneak through the door and make sure that everything gets gets done right along the way? I would not subscribe to either camp exclusively. I think there are some things that I want to do in terms of the structure of the way that we deliver on those city services. But I also, a, a very good friend of mine in economic development often talks about managing an organization is like flying a helicopter. You don't want to make any real sudden moves. They, they, they tend to have disastrous effects. 
I, I said this early on, too, in the Democratic primary, there is absolutely an opportunity for us to improve. But if we take a radical approach, and, and that's small R radical, right? If we work, if we try to change too many things too fast, it's a recipe for disaster. So my, my intent is to take office, to work with a team that we have, make process improvements, but always with a focus on improvement to better deliver on our city services, better respect taxpayer dollars, just do a, a better job of managing and, and building on that safe, clean, and healthy city where people have access to good opportunities. There, you know this, Alan. You've been doing this work in the Lehigh Valley for you know since the 80s. There, there are a tremendous group of people here who are doing good things. Yep. And, and we haven't, and I'll, you know this too, and I don't know if our listeners do, but we have a reputation in the Commonwealth for collaboration. Sometimes right. it feels yep. like we're parochial among, here. Tops but, among anybody. Yeah? No community matches yeah, us. Yes, we're tops. And, and so when we do, we can build on that collaborative spirit to serve the needs of our residents. And I know that the people of the Lehigh Valley want the best for the city of Allentown because when Allentown does well, the Lehigh Valley prospers. Right. So we're going to we're going to work to build strength here, and that means not you know making any radical changes. It means you know not sneaking through the door, as you say, but it, it means you know keeping the good stuff going and and tweaking where we can. You're listening that, to that's Lehigh Valley Discourse on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Tonight we're talking about this month's uh, election, and uh, currently I've got Matt Turk on the phone with us. We had Lamont McClure tonight, and we've got uh, Willie Reynolds, and we're going to have Chris Bork as well. Matt, uh, the campaign was kind of polite. I mean, it was really, it, was, it wasn't a lot of nasty, you know, name-calling and ugly stuff going on. Um, but do, do you have any relationships that need to be mended as a result of the election? I mean, it's always, you know, us against them kind of thing. So. Are, are you uh, are you good with everybody, or do you have some some you know some some things to make up for? So I'm a rookie politician, right? And this may I, I hope this doesn't come back to haunt me. But what I've said to, what I said to people early on was I don't I don't hold grudges. I'm not a guy who is going to remember you know what side people lined up on over the course of a campaign. And you're a better man I'll than I am. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, so one of the things I did back in um, oh God, like a week before is I, I reached out to Tim Ramos, who is my uh, Republican opponent, and I said, hey, let's just sit down and get coffee. Whatever happens, let's sit down and get coffee. And I'm actually coming off of just having had that coffee with Tim, just checking in, saying, hey, you know, we want to make sure that we're all good and, and your heart's in the right place, and we may differ about how we get there, but we do care about the city of Allentown. And that went great. And, I, you know, I want Tim to, I want to give him a, a, a path to be involved. I think that he's, his, he is dedicated to his community. You know, there are a few people who toward the end of the, or the, the last week running up to the, to election day lined up on one side or the other. In fact, there's, there's one guy who I won't name him, but he, he encouraged all Boricua, all Puerto Ricans to get out and support Tim Ramos. And I happened to run into him walking on second street yesterday and I just gave him a big hug and said, Hey man, we don't. We don't look at the past. We we have people who who say, you know, we were with this guy from day one, or I don't care. Day one is today. Day we move forward starting today, and and the people in Allentown are they're dedicated to this city's success. If you if you want the city to be a success, you're on the team. If you don't, then we have we have no need for you. We'll, we'll see you later. I want people who are who are committed to our city, and and I think ultimately people will will get behind a mayor like me to to do that. 
That's Mayor-elect Matt Turk, City of Allentown. Matt, thanks for being with us. And we're going to move on. We've got uh, Willie Reynolds coming up next. Matt, thanks for, for being, being part of the show. Thanks for being on Le- Lehigh Valley Discourse. Thanks, Alan. And I want to extend that same congrats back to Lamont and forward to Willie. You've had me and Willie on together before. I'm so excited about the opportunity to collaborate with Willie and be part of a really exciting movement in our cities to move the Lehigh Valley forward. So congrats, Willie. We're going to do good stuff together. Thank you, Matt Turk, mayor-elect, City of Allentown. Next up, we're going to talk to uh, Willie Reynolds. Stay with us. Did you know your phone is a radio? Tune in to WDIY Anywhere on the go with WDIY's phone app. Download for free from the Apple or Google Store and turn your phone into your trusted public radio. The easy-to-use app lets you listen to WDIY live on your phone and play all your favorite programs on demand. Download and share the WDIY app with your friends and family and introduce them to many choices, real voices. Welcome back. We're with J. William Reynolds, better known by most of us as Willie Reynolds, Bethlehem's mayor-elect. Willie Reynolds. Hello. Congratulations on your win on Tuesday. Thank you. Last week. Lamont McClure, by the way, sends his congratulations to you, as does Matt Turk. They're both anxious to looking forward to working with you. Thank you. Lamont's done a great job, and, and uh, I'm really excited for what Matt's going to bring to Allentown. And uh, I think Tuesday was a great day for the Lehigh Valley, and you know, I just couldn't be more excited about working with those guys going forward, too. Well, your election was absolutely stunning, I think. You know, i got to be honest with you, Willie. I love you, but I thought John Kakmar was going to get more votes than he did. So it's a testament to your, uh, your reputation in the city among voters and, and, people, and taxpayers. So, uh, so, again, congratulations. Thank you. It's, uh, you know, we've been out there knocking on doors, talking to people, and, you know, we were, we were confident going into Tuesday, but it was a situation where, you know, we had been hearing from people for months that they were excited about where the city is and they were excited about where we're going. And, you know, it was a, it was a big, de- big day for Democrats in the city of Bethlehem. And, you know, that's, I, I'd like to say that was all about our campaign, but it, it's not because it's just people in Bethlehem care about our community. And, you know, coming out of the pandemic, I think they're excited about building a fairer, more inclusive and uh, more vibrant uh, city for everyone to live in. So, so does that big of a vote margin empower you any further? Does it give you the ability to do more things than you originally hoped you could do? Does it, does it strengthen your agenda in a way that, that, that is different than you might have had otherwise? I would tell you that I feel even stronger about our vision. And it's a vision that's shared by the fantastic new women that are coming on city council, Kira Wilhelm and Rachel Leone and Hillary Kwiatek, that are joining our already great city council about just both the direction of the city that we're going, people agree with, but also just this idea that we can have a city where everybody can afford to live. We can have a city that is, you know, economically vibrant. And, you know, we had a ton of people show up to vote on Tuesday. We had 13,000 people that show up to vote in the city of Bethlehem, you know, which is more people than showed up to vote in the city of Allentown, even though they have 30,000 more people. Hmm. And I think part of that, I think part of that is the enthusiasm that we have in the city and among, among Democrats, we had, you know, thousands more Democrats than 
showed up to vote then in the primary, and they voted for Democrats up and up and down the board because I think they like what's going on in the city, and they like what's going on in the county, and they like the vision that we laid out. So I would say that you know we started to realize early on, back in January, February, and we were going around knocking on doors that. As I said, people both agree with where the city is going, the direction of the city, but also the vision that we've been laying out for the over the past year. So, do you you're going to be in office? Or you're going to be in the mayor's office in just a couple of months. I'm sure you've been thinking about you know who's going to be in what positions and so on. What is it? What does the transition look like for you over the next two months? I think it's a lot of listening, a lot of meeting with, with different people in and outside of City Hall. I think one of the advantages of being on City Council for 14 years is I have a pretty good understanding of how both City Hall works as well as our budget. And, you know, I am excited to bring some fresh new faces into City Hall and some positions, including in, on my staff. One of the things that I've promised from day one is the, the mayor's office only has a couple employees. But one of my employees is going to be the director of equity and inclusion, which is going to be the first time, uh, definitely in Bethlehem, but I think in any, any city in, in the Lehigh Valley, that you're going to have a director of equity and inclusion. And it was important for me that that person wasn't just working in City Hall, but that they were working next to the mayor. Because, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, you know, as far as spending some of our dollars from Washington, as well as how do we respond as a community to everyone that was clearly left behind our most vulnerable citizens during the pandemic, you know, it's going to be a really, really important position. And I think there's a couple different spots in City Hall, and, you know, I can't share any names yet, but that I think are going to be really, really important as far as in increasing both the diversity of City Hall and the vision as far as what we're going to be doing in the future. So what, what, what are we going to have? We're going to have two, two Latinos on the council out of seven, correct? Yes, and then there also will be a vacancy because I'm, I'll be leaving in the middle of my term. So right. the city council will be picking a seventh member, which I guess remains to be seen. But yes, at least, uh, at least two Latinos on council. And you've got, what, what do we have, five women now? Five and uh, maybe six. I, I have no amazing. idea what city council is going to do. But yeah, it's the first time that there's ever been a majority female city council. And uh, one of the things that I'm excited about, too, is the different perspectives that they bring. Many of them were not born in our city, which I think is a real positive as far as having lived in other places and bringing perspectives that, you know, those of us that have been around Bethlehem our whole lives uh, might not have. So I think that it's going to be a uh, it's going to it's going to be a dynamic uh, city council, and I'm looking forward to working with them. Well, Bethlehem's really so unusual. I mean, first of all, it's never really had that kind of fighting culture, that infighting kind of thing that happens in so many places. You know, the fact that there are women, uh, you know, ma a majority on the on the council. The fact that they, they keep electing guys under what fifty? I mean, how old are you? Like thirty seven or something like that? I wish I was thirty seven. I just <laughs> turned forty. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, what is it here. about Bethlehem that has such, you know, kind of open-minded and progressive kind of views like that? Is it, you know, it doesn't come from the Bethlehem Steel executives, you know? Uh, I think it gets, I think to get back to your original point about why we're able to govern well is that, you know, Bethlehem is really a microcosm for what I believe everybody, every community should have is that we have so many things that we share, so many institutions that we share whether or not it's Raven College or Lehigh or the Bethlehem Area School District or things like Music Fest. So we have a lot in common. So we have relationships with people that, you know, cross, you know, whatever issue it is that we're talking about. And those type of relationships are what allows 
municipalities to be and anybody to be successful. So I think that people love living in Bethlehem, that we respect each other, we respect every neighborhood, and there's just an overall kind of uh, feeling that, you know, whatever disagreement we might have on Tuesday or in a couple weeks or in a couple of months, none of that is bigger than this kind of idea of Bethlehem, that, you know, we have room for everybody and that there's more that we have in common that we don't. And I think if you look at the electoral success of candidates since the closing of Bethlehem Steel, it's always been that kind of motto, that, like, you know, our best days are ahead, we're in this together, you know, the steel shut down, we can become a more vibrant community, and I think that, that just is a reflective of the people that live in our city. So do you have a, a, a big project that you want to announce, or do you kind of just see yourself kind of slipping into the position and, and making sure everything continues to run on time, you know, managing that way? Are you a big announcement kind of guy, or are you a singles and doubles kind of guy? Uh, well, we'll be making some uh, big announcements in the next couple of months, and, you know, we're going to hit the ground running in January, and I have some initiatives that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release, um, you know, as we go first some of the personnel hires with people that are um, going to be coming on board, but then also some things that we're going to plan on doing with neighborhood revitalization as, as far as supporting our business community, and those will be coming in January. But there's a lot of great things that are already going on in the city of Bethlehem, and we have a lot of dedicated employees that deliver our basic city services in, in just fantastic ways. So we're going to, that's always priority number one, but we'll be releasing some big ideas in the, in the next couple of months. Mayor-elect Willie Reynolds, I like the sound of that, Willie. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for being uh, with us on Lehigh Valley Discourse. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. That was Willie Reynolds. We have Chris Borick still to, to go, and he's the uh, pollster from Muhlenberg College who keeps close tabs on the elections. There's plenty to talk about. Stay with us. Galactic Travels brings you hour-long soundscapes of electronic, ambient, and space music. That's Thursday night at 11, right here on WDIY Allentown, Lehigh Valley Public Radio, 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. Many choices, real voices. Okay, next up, we've got Chris Bork. This is a crowded uh, agenda with good people that have lots to say. Chris Bork is a political science professor at, at uh, Muhlenberg College. He is known to most of us, uh, certainly those of us who pay attention to the daily news, as the uh, Lehigh Valley's pollster. He keeps tabs on what we think and what we do and what we know, and, you know, he's like Santa. He knows uh, what's right or wrong, and he's, he's, we're, we're paying attention here. Chris, welcome to uh, Lehigh Valley Discourse on WDIY. Hey, thanks, uh, thanks, Alan. I get I get caught a lot of things. Santa is like the best ever. That's uh, <laughs> that's great. I'll show you my mail during like election season. Uh, Satan is is more used than uh, than Santa in the in the emails I get. <laughs> <laughs> so we just witnessed an election that had some weird things about it, and I'm uh, just wondering what you think. First, are, are there like two or three kind of main takeaways that you got out of this one? What what happened here? Yeah, you know, we we love to be in the in the in the moment and and talk about the you know kind of nuances of of policy and issues at any given time, uh, Alan. But as someone studies politics and elections, been around quite quite some time. Cycles are powerful things. Political cycles dominate uh, American electoral processes. And if you went back to 1993 or you went to 2009 after Democrats came into office in the White House 
uh, had control of Congress. They were bad elections for, for Democrats. And while we think kind of the world has changed in a lot of ways in terms of politics, with you know, Trump's arrival causing a big kind of upheaval and disruption, a lot of things are the same. And we see these patterns. Americans generally revert from where they were, especially when Democrats get elected into into the White House in the next election cycle. And so number one is think cycle before you think candidates. And that explains a lot. A couple other things that I, I think about is, well, where where doesn't that work? Well, campaigns do, you know, while the currents do move politics in one direction, and it's good to be, you know, on a cycle like this, having a, an R next to your name rather than a D, there are times when candidates and campaigns matter. We saw that. I think we, it's like a textbook example what happened in Northampton County with the executive race, where you had a, a fairly strong Democratic incumbent end up winning easily when the rest of Democrats had much greater struggles across the board on the ballot in Northampton County on that night. And why? Because the Republican candidate was was eminently flawed and opened the door, even in with the wins behind uh, the Republicans back for a fairly easy Democratic win. So cycles are, are big. They don't explain everything. And often it's on the margin in terms of campaigns and candidates that that will determine those those really close things. One of the things that just I th- I thought was really weird about this election is that first of all Steve Lynch got forty four percent of the vote. I mean I you know I would have predicted thirty at best. So the fact that he got forty four percent is a is a is a sweaty kind of thing for me to to, to you know to have to endure the fact that there you know forty four percent of Northampton County voters voted for a guy who is way out even beyond the extremes of of, uh, of Lehigh Valley politics and I, I don't get it. But what, what's yeah. especially puzzling is that Tara uh, Zrinsky, who is arguably the most liberal person I, uh, we've ever elected in the Lehigh Valley, is was the lead vote getter for county council. So what do we got? So we got some kind of like bipolar thing going on here. Or I don't I don't see how those kinds of things happen. It's a good examples, really great examples, uh, Alan. And and one, the first will explain. You know, you, you could say given you know Lynch's. Uh, behaviors, his statements, his, his campaign that you, that you could be surprised, right? But in 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 this incredibly partisan moment that we're living in, you know, geeky academics like us call it a negative partisan era, where it's all about you know stopping the other side. People more so than in, in perhaps contemporary times, if there's an R or a D next to your name, it doesn't matter what the rest is. It's just the R or the D. And, you know, in, in an election like this, especially where people, you know, might not know a ton, that, that that Q is dominant. And so he had an R next to his name, and a lot of people were voting for R's, and it was a good night for R's. He, he got a little extra carry, I think, to get him up to that level, even though he's losing double digit. You know, when you look at the Zerinsky cases, it's a great kind of example. You know, it was kind of cloudy, muddled in the middle. You look at, at those county council numbers, um, not a gigantic range from top to bottom. And, you know, the, the line that gets you in or out was, you know, a couple hundred votes. Mm-hmm. So so what explains that, right? What explains that? Well, as a whole, the county numbers were, were fairly, fairly close. And then it becomes, you know, campaigns again, it, being able to, to resonate with certain voters, you, building up name identity, uh, building up a brand. And, and for someone like, like Zerinsky, who has, a, you know, been around, has a following, has a, you know, kind of progressive base, you might be able to not only tap into the D next to your name to get just regular Democrats, but maybe bring a few more folks into the mix and, and get that, that type of win. So, mm-hmm. again, campaigns do, do matter on the margin. You're listening to Lehigh Valley Discourse on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. I want to thank James Johnson, the guy who runs the news department here at WDIY, for making sure that this sounds uh, reasonably good. 
And I uh, also thank uh, Chris Borek for being with me on this. Uh, Chris, you were probably competing with Susan Wilde as my most uh, frequent guest on this radio show. So, so you're, in, you're in pretty good company. Let's talk about the sleeping giant and whether it can be awakened. And that is the Hispanic voter. They are, Hispanics are now the, the largest single demographic group, race or ethnic uh, group, in, in a city of Allentown. The population is growing in every community in the Lehigh Valley, and yet you're not seeing it manifest itself in our elections. What is the trend line? Was there anything about this election that, that you could um, spot in terms of the Hispanic voter as a, as a, as a player in, this, in, in these issues, in this work? Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's a fascinating and, and salient aspect of the political environment right now. And as you mentioned, you know, looking at those census numbers, uh, it's clear and kind of validates what everybody's known already um, is is the growth of the, the Hispanic community in the Valley and particularly in places like Allentown. And your analysis is, is dead, dead right, uh, Alan, in that we, based on the, the size of the the Hispanic population, its performance uh, in elections is underwhelming. In other words, it, it, the, as a percentage of the electorate, uh, it's much smaller than it is as a percentage of the population, which means it's lower turnout, lower engagement. Uh, and I, I don't have the details, you know, kind of broken down that we could maybe parse out, you know, exactly what Hispanic turnout may be. Um, it's going to take a while to do that. But by kind of a cursory top-level analysis, it doesn't look like uh, this election was any different than what we've seen in the past in terms of, of what is likely to be uh, pretty low, relatively low uh, Hispanic turnout. And it's a game-changer, right? It's a game-changer, um, oh, you know, first of all, for the, the group itself and its, its political clout and flexing that growing demographic clout through electoral means. And, you know, even if we, we it, it's not a monolithic group, we see divides, we see, you know, within it, we see that in the last presidential election, and those differences could, could, could be determinative, right? You know, 10, 15% change in, in the Hispanic vote could, could absolutely change an outcome in a general election. And so, yeah, I think it remains that that, that term sleeping giant is still there. The, the, the sleeping is, is unfortunately, at least from electoral engagement, still part of the, the, the story. And, and I think that they're up for grabs. You know, some 90% of African Americans are Democrats, and, and they're a reliable constituency. They often get frustrated that they get taken for granted, but they are a rock-solid Democratic core group. Hispanics, on the other hand, you know, they, they come from places where they were entrepreneurs. They were business people. They were not necessarily, you know, poor folks struggling to get a job. And so you've got a, a constituency who I think, if I, was a, if I was a Republican strategy guy, I think what the Republicans should do is, is do a major entrepreneurially oriented initiative directed at Latinos to help Latinos start their own businesses because, they, they, you know, they come from places where they, where they did start and own their own businesses. And it wouldn't take that much to make something like that happen. And I think it would steal a plenty of Hispanic voters over to the, the Republican side of the equation. Do, 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 I mean, what, what are you thinking about that? Well, no, no I, think, I think there's evidence of, of that, Alan. You know, you just it doesn't. We have to go back forever. Even you know, in in the early two thousands, we saw in presidential races the Hispanic electorate basically split uh, during those uh, those George Bush elections. So it it is by no means if you compare, for example, to, to to black voters who have traditionally been the bedrock of the Democratic Party, often voting at ninety percent uh, Democrat. 
but the Hispanic voters certainly not in that similar distribution. And and yeah, there are cultural. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, you know, if we even look back to to the two thousand or twenty twenty election, we saw gains uh, for Donald Trump among the Hispanic population compared to twenty sixteen. And you, you might ask, well, how does that happen? Given some of his rhetoric and other things, there was a connection, as particularly among uh, Latino males, uh, on a couple of cultural issues and some of those economic issues you talked about, entrepreneurial uh, types of things that they saw uh, an alliance there, or at least uh, an alignment, I should say. Um, and and yeah, and that and that that opening is there, and it, and it, obviously, if you're looking demographically for the fastest growing demographic, you know, ethnic group in the in the United States, tapping into that is crucial if you're going to have a long-term, you know, success as a, a party in the U.S. And so, yeah, I think that's that's an opening. We'll see if Republicans want to focus there. Um, and and it, the difficulty is sometimes finding those spaces while not embracing some of the more outright, you know, xenophobic mm-hmm. elements that we've seen paired with those things and, and how does that will work out. So, it, but, it, but strategically, it's hard to argue with the, you know, the math that you, you lay out. If if you are from an immigrant group, though, I mean, whether you were born here or your your grandparents um, were the first to to arrive, you would think that they would be organized against the anti-immigration kind of xenophobia that you mentioned that is so fundamentally a part of the Trump um, style. So, you know, I don't know if it breaks down that way. I mean, I think that, you know, people who have been here for some time, maybe multiple generations who, you know, did it by the rules. They did it the way they're supposed to do it. And they resent people trying to break the rules to get in. And they want to be seen as good, solid um, Americans. And so they, they make a special effort to, to present themselves as being, you know, as being resistant to uh, immigration. And so, I mean, I think that creates this muddle as well. So I think between the entrepreneurial stuff and, 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 the, um, and, and that, the whole immigration ambivalence, if you will, I think that's where you get a lot of opportunity to, to bring Hispanics over. You know what I mean? I think, no, I think it's, it, it, there, is, there is an opportunity there. And it's also, you know, it's, it's easy to think because you think for uh, immigrant communities, or at least uh, communities that have high percentage of, of recent immigrants, that immigration would be the most salient issue, the most important, right? That that's what I'm going to vote on, or even you know perhaps on one issue that that's what I care about. And it's not the case. It's not the case among has uh, many Hispanic and Latino voters. Uh, it may be a very important issue, but maybe paired with a number of other important issues: safety, economics, jobs, of course, um, you know, healthcare policy. So it, it does. You know, sometimes I think we 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 associate it because of the the central role that immigration played in the in the, the narratives of of communities that it will always be the, the dominant issue, and that I think that that's not always the case. Chris, when you do your your polling, do you have enough Hispanic respondents to do cross tabs where you can uh, for our average listener you might not know what a cross tab is but in polling language that's when you have when you ask a, a group of voters something specific to them so you got a total number of people you've got 30 percent are hispanic then you ask those hispanic voters how many of them have a certain opinion um yeah. do you have the ability to do that is there some of that you should be adding if not to, to, to your regular polling that you're doing it, it, it depends, Alan, on the population we're looking at. So, you know, obviously if we're in Pennsylvania and say we did a sample of 500 random selected, you know, voters in the state, 
we're just going to get, based on the distribution of, of Hispanic voters, if it's a normal distribution, a pretty small share, let's say, I'll, I'll throw out, you know, 10%, which is, is high. It's probably more like 6 7% um, of the state population. So you can imagine, what does that mean? Let's say it was 10%, it's about 50 people. It's not a lot, enough to really make meaningful interpretations. If we look, you know, maybe if, of doing a poll in Allentown, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to have a higher Hispanic population. We usually do, even even with a place like Allentown, have some undersampling of Latino uh, voters, Hispanic Latino voters, for for various reasons, maybe some language barriers, maybe just some response rates. But we usually will have a big enough group that we could break out Hispanic or Latino. But that is a problem. Sometimes, if you really want to get a, a, a feel for that community or that part of the the broader community, a focused survey just on on individuals in that community is the best way to get a a larger sample and, and to capture a lot of the the differences across the the broader demographic group, right? You know, within the, the Hispanic Latino community, very big differences on nation of origin and uh, and uh, immigrate, you know, years in the country, you know, new, newer arrivals versus older arrivals, all kinds of things. And you need bigger samples to really capture those differences. You're listening to Lehigh Valley Discourse on WDIY. I'm your host, Alan Jennings, a familiar voice on the uh, with us on the show this evening is uh, Dr. Chris Bork, uh, Muhlenberg College political science professor and uh, the Lehigh Valley's uh, pollster. Chris, one of the things that really makes me wonder about ourselves these days is the number of people who call themselves patriots but hate their government. I don't know how you do that. How do you... How do you love a country that you hate what that country produces in the form of a democratic elected governance arrangement, you know? It's, it's a great, great question. And it's, it's the power of, you know, claiming words, claiming titles. And, uh, and you know, patriots often meant different things to different people, <laughs> as, mm-hmm. as we think. But often, or well, always, the, the core element of it is, is love for your country, right? That you're a patriot, you, you love your country. Um, and and it is it is I think as you describe a little bit tortured to to to, to sometimes think well you know fellow Americans duly elected to office you would you would somehow say it's it, the only patriotic thing is to is to to hate them or to to, to vilify them mm-hmm. instead of maybe not not necessarily not questioning their motives, but questioning their actions legitimately and say, hey, I don't like those policies. I don't like those. But there's somehow come this moment where opposition can't take that form for, for a group within American society. It must take a, a, a form that it's, 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 that's, they're completely illegitimate and corrupt, and therefore we can't have any kind of regular dealings with them. It has to be all or, or nothing. And that kind of strain that, that permeates a, a solid group of individuals that identify as patriots is is a bit of a defining piece of our contemporary politics, and not one that I think is all that that healthy in the end. Yeah, you can, you know call yourself a patriot, and you could love your country. That could mean can mean voting, can mean engaging, certainly mean protesting. It could mean all those all those things, but it could also mean you know recognizing uh, a, a system when it operates as one that, that you accept at, at certain times will not be reflective of your particular opinion, but others' opinions, uh, and that you have to, to make your case in the marketplace of ideas to, to have that, that change. And that's not, that's not always what I think might be a, 
a description of, of, of people that, that go by the, you know, the Patriot moniker. You know, the, the, the best or worst, depending on how you want to look at it, illustration of the division in this country is that we've somehow politicized a pandemic. And, um, you know, this country is so divided when people talk about it being a temporary thing, I'm not so sure it is. I mean, I worry, you know, usually when you've got such a divided country, national tragedies are the thing that brings people back together. And it says, okay, we can put aside the fact that I disagree over how much we should uh, appropriate for food stamps or for welfare or whatever. Um, but I'm, I still love my country and I'm going to work to make sure it, it binds itself again. And it, that, it didn't really happen after September 11th. It hasn't happened after this pandemic, both of which are total national disasters that you would think would cause us to rally around the flag and, 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 and hug each other as Americans. So, so do, do you think, I mean, do you see a path to peace in, in our lifetime? I mean, how does, where does this go? Yeah, you know, I I, I do, uh, Alan. I, I think you know, often these these low moments are uh, indeed low moments, and we find for various ways, and that aren't always obvious, paths forward to uh, to find more unity. You know, as you mentioned, sometimes that's in terms of national crises, wars, and things. And of course, you know, that's not the, the the thing you don't want us to. To, to unify around a common common enemy that that is you know in a time of crisis we don't want crisis to have to do that historically it has happened you know you mentioned 9/11 and certainly there was all kinds of rancor and and in the end major divides based on the uh, the responses that that we had to that but in the end it, it, we had had a, a degree of, of unification around uh, even even our political institutions for a while at that point. So, so do I, you know, I think, I think, yeah, you, we've talked about this before, you know, the kind of the arc of, of American, uh, social policy and, and, and life has, has moved upward. You know, we've, we've, we've gone through lots of major changes that, that have ultimately ended in things like expansion of voting rights, elimination of, of major, like legal forms of, of segregation, um, all kinds of big changes that have affected, uh, I think, incredibly positive change in the United States. Is, is it even? Is it linear? No, it's not linear. There's ups and downs. And if you go back over time in American history, you'll see some really deep, deep, dark periods, but that ultimately we emerge in a better place. And so I'll, I'll, I'll go with the, the historical trend lines and hope that that again, that's where we end up. But I could see your your you know, your pessimism right now because it is, it is a dark period in many ways. Well, and you know, you're hearing more and more people talk about dividing the the union. I have to tell you that on my gloomiest days, I think it might be the only option that we've got. Um, you know, when you look at the numbers, you'll find that the Northeast and Pacific Northwest are the places that are the net donors to our, our, our government. In other words, they pay in more than they get back out. And the South and Southwest are the parts of the country that pay in less than what they take out. So we're essentially, you know, subsidizing. We've got the South on welfare, you know. Um, and yet, uh, you know, we're getting pounded by states like Idaho and Utah and, and you know, states like that to have very few voters. And yet they get the same amount of power as the senator from California, or the senator from New York. 
And, um, you know, but the problem is dividing that up, you know, it would be the Pacific Northwest, maybe chunks of the upper Midwest and then the Northeast. You know, there is actually, I saw some polling numbers. And I don't remember them, the specifics off my top of my head, but it was a substantial number of voters support the idea of dividing the country along those, those lines. What, what is uh, the political science thinking on that, that, that question? Ah, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting debate, Alan. I, I, I'll differ, you know, kind of in my own personal judgment on on the the value of that. I think it's 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 a horrible idea to think that we we could be divided as a country, um, you know, and, and states. I just even the thought of of the yeah, the word divide, you know, brings yeah. brings horror, horror to me. Uh, but and, and the idea is, you know, I mean, you mentioned certainly we we see within the political systems. Uh, inequities maybe we say in in power and and over representation for some and others based on our senate system which is is real and we should, these are good debates to have about how we want to represent the people of the country and, and the states which are still parts of the united states of america so how do we value states into that equation but yeah you, you we do have these moments right where you say well some states pay more some pay other you know and in, in internally in the states we see that some state areas pay others and I'm, I'm you know and we've talked about this from a social way sometimes that's okay it's it's you know who could pay where does it go to what is what is the purpose you know i, I think those are, are things we we could live with as people if if we have some trust in the system and so i don't worry as much about some of those disparities in finances states to states if it's for a common good at the end and that's where we have to kind of think about what is the common good Chris Bork, political science professor at Muhlenberg College, Lehigh Valley's pollster. Chris, thanks so much for being on Lehigh Valley Discourse with me. Alan, it's always a pleasure. Take care. Okay. See you on the other side. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Steve Inskeep with NPR News, inviting you to join me for Morning Edition on WDIY. Morning Edition takes listeners across this country and around the world with stories that inform and challenge and entertain alongside the day's weather, traffic, and local news headlines. Listen to Morning Edition weekdays beginning at 5 a.m. right here on WDIY 88.1, your trusted Lehigh Valley NPR member station since 1995. The following thoughts and opinions do not necessarily reflect the thoughts and opinions of WDIY, its affiliates, and or its staff, members, and volunteers. And before we conclude, I want to offer some of my own thoughts. You know, the occasion of an election gives a political scientist type like me time to think and, and really wrestle with the problems that we see in our world. Sometimes I can't control my, my anxiety, my, my anger, my frustration with the world as it is. And I think what I'm most frustrated by is the American left's ability to understand the voters and move an agenda. The right in this country is much more effective at convincing people who are in the majority that they should vote for people who are not going to serve their best interests. If you want to make the world a better place, if you want to be a change agent, an activist, or a revolutionary, listen up. What language do you speak? Do you speak middle class? I would make the case that 20% of Americans are mean-spirited, hateful, intolerant, sexist, racist, rednecks. They are dug in. Nothing will change them. I'd make the similar case that 20% are kooky leftists, also mean-spirited, intolerant, and hateful, but elitist snobs, too. 
You think you know everything, and while you don't bust out your AR-15 at the elementary school, your style has turned the vast array of people on the moderate points of the political spectrum over to the right. That's right, I'm talking to you, and you, and you. Think about it. How could it be possible that our country would deny an adult the right to have a private discussion with a physician about major health decisions? How can it be that we would ignore decades of warnings that we are baking our planet to the point of extinction? How is it that millions of Americans would allow their children's lives to be threatened because they think the government is overreaching by telling them what they need to do to protect themselves and their precious kids from the worst public health disaster in the nation's history? Why? Because we folks on the left can't count and we don't speak the language. First, counting. If you subtract the two extremes above from the total, that leaves 60% of us. Three of every five people in this country are in the category of reasonable. Those are the people to whom we need to speak. The radicals on the right aren't going to listen. They can't hear us over the den of gunfire. The vast majority of the 60% are also middle class. Middle class is an economic construct, for starters. They get squeezed when gas prices go up. They can't afford to send their kids to college, much less pay for their parents' care at the nursing home. They work but often can't keep up with inflation. They're decent folks who don't pay much attention to the political battles because they are too busy helping the kids get their homework done after field hockey practice. Good public policies that assist them with their parents' care, that make college affordable and keep energy costs low, will appeal to them. But here's the other problem for lefties. We don't speak the language. We don't know how to communicate with the average American. We insist, like tyrannies do, that they act like us. Oh, no, you can't use that word. You can't think that way. You can't um, buy those products. We tell them that their values are all wrong. They have to drive Volvos or Subarus. They can't say colored people, uh, words that sound very much like people of color. They haven't yet gotten past being taught that the gay is is a bad thing. So not only is middle class an economic term, it is a culture. It's soccer practice. It's cul-de-sacs. It's get a job. When they hear equality, the word on equality, it conjures impressions of paying more taxes so those people over there don't have to work. When they hear, quote, poverty, it conjures that black woman in the caddy in Chicago buying steak with food stamps, as Ronald Reagan famously imagined. When we talk about racists, they wonder, Wait a minute, I don't have any slaves. Why are you blaming me? I don't even know any black people, or for that matter, Puerto Ricans. Better words and phrases are fairness. Everyone believes in fairness. People we leave behind and Americans who don't look like us. Folks, we can't keep this up. Stop calling everyone a racist. Stop expecting people who live, work, shop, and worship in the suburbs who don't even know anyone who doesn't look like, like them to be sophisticates on the hot buttons of, their, of our time. Let's have a beer or a cup of coffee, meet down at the Methodist Church, the VFW, or the Volunteer Fire Company, and talk. If we do this right, the middle will join the left and the world will be a better place, except for those people out there who hate the government but claim to be patriots. Yes, they all have their guns. One of the greats said, the pen is mightier than the sword. Let's get those pens out. Just please learn to speak middle class and learn to count. That's it for Lehigh Valley Discourse. I'm your host, Alan Jennings. Join me next time.
WDIY is Lehigh Valley Public Radio at 88.1 FM, also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more local news and information, public affairs, and links to NPR programs, visit our website, WDIY.org. WDIY Lehigh Valley Public Radio, your trusted local NPR member station for over 25 years. Many choices, real voices.